the rumbling of the engines that you can feel as the jets are still 20 seconds away and then you kind of see them as this speck off in the distance and the national anthem is playing it's all just culminating into this great slice of Americana America's game America's best players America's anthem America's flag America's military all just on display and everybody is just locked in it's kind of hard not to get a little choked up about it because it's just what it represents that's an experience that just never grows old. I no. mean, every time you have the privilege of, of experiencing that, it's special. What's up, Bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to episode number 57 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tomaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, we've got a special version of the show. My dad, Victor, is back as a guest host this time to interview me about my incredible trip to L.A. for the 2022 All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium. I don't think I'll ever really be able to explain the amount of fun I had on this amazing trip, which of course was all thanks to my good friends over at Japan Ball, but I do my best in this interview with dad. We talk about the entire experience, plus we get some of dad's insight into All-Star Games of past. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with myself and my dad. Well, welcome to a special edition of the Baseball Bucket List Podcast. I'm your guest host, Victor D. Tommaso, a.k.a. Anna's dad. And today, on this special edition, we're going to talk to Anna about her recent trip to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. So, Anna, how are you today? Well, I'm great, Dad. Thank you for being back. Back by popular demand, one of the uh, the most loved guests ever to be on the show. So I'm I'm glad we're we're doing this again. Well, I'm looking forward to our time together. I think we'll have fun. Uh, why don't you start, Anna, by telling us how it was that you ended up getting to go to the All Star Game? Yeah, it's a great question. I was sitting on the couch on Friday evening. <laughs> about a week ahead of the All-Star Game, and I pulled up my email and I saw an email from Shane, who runs a great company called Japan Ball, and it basically said, do you want to go to the All-Star Game? And I kind of yelled out and got pretty excited, jumped off the couch, and um, I'm pretty sure I called you right away and kind of told you what was going on, but he thought that I would be a good person to go because he knew it was on my bucket list. So it was on your bucket list. Oh, yeah, both items. Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game were both on my bucket list for a long, long, long time. Well, great. Glad to hear it. So why don't you give us just a little bit of an overview of what you did when you went to Los Angeles, and then we'll talk about some of the, some of the specific events. Yeah, there were there were three big events kind of over this I flew in on a Sunday, I left on a Wednesday, and on Sunday I got to go to a phenomenal event celebrating 150 years of baseball in Japan. And then on Monday was, of course, the Home Run Derby, and then to close everything out, Tuesday was the All-Star Game itself. And so I got to partake in all three of those things, and they were just all a ton of fun. Tell us a little bit more about the Sunday night event. I don't think that's something that's widely published or discussed. No, it's it's not yet. I do know that there are a couple of different entities kind of working on some different coverage for that. 
I'm writing an article that's going to be published on Japan Ball, kind of recapping the event. But essentially, 150 years ago, the U.S. introduced the game of baseball to Japan. And so to celebrate the 150-year anniversary, there was this amazing event Sunday night in downtown L.A. at the Japanese-American National Museum featuring Mashi Murakami, who was actually the first Japanese player to ever come play in Major League Baseball. And so we got to hear his accounts of what it was like to play baseball back in the middle of the 60s. He came over, he didn't speak any English, and it was just really cool to kind of hear from literally living history. He had some amazing stories, and it was just incredible. It's funny that you mentioned that because... While I was talking to uh, my wife, Marietta, she mentioned uh, the celebration of the 100-year birthday of Jackie Robinson's widow. Mm-hmm. And that got us to talking. And then Marietta chimed in with, well, what was the first Japanese baseball player in the United States? So it's really just a coincidence that uh, you actually – Went to an event celebrating that individual. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think that Nomo, you know, he gets a lot of the credit for being the first Japanese player to come over and and play professionally here. But it actually happened 30 years before him even. And so to be quite frank, I had no idea that that was true until Sunday evening when I got to actually meet the gentleman who did it. Well, that's cool. So what did you do... uh... What did you do with your day Monday before you went to the ballpark for the Homer Derby? Capital One was doing something called the Play Ball Ballpark, which used to be called Fan Fest before it kind of got the corporate naming rights behind it. And of course, Capital One is now, you know, their logo is plastered everywhere. But essentially downtown in the convention center, You have all of these different exhibits set up. You know, Topps had an exhibit. Rawlings had an exhibit. New Era. All sorts of different places. Gatorade was there. And at each booth, you could do a different activity or learn something. Of course, the Hall of Fame had a minor exhibit set up there. And so I just spent the entire morning walking around that convention center bumping into people, talking with other baseball fans, doing some of these cool events. And I also saw a home run derby from a handful of the Major League Baseball mascots. So got to see Mariner Moose (laughs) and uh, Blooper from Atlanta, TC from the Minnesota Twins, and Stompy, I think, is the Oakland Athletics elephant. Got to see them, you know, kind of goof around and, and... play a home run derby there inside the convention center, which was pretty entertaining. So it sounds like you actually uh, talked to a lot of people while you were there on Sunday and and then Monday at the uh, Capital One event. Did you meet anybody that left a real impression on you that you felt like you had a unique experience visiting with? I actually bumped into a couple... um, his name is is Brian and her name is Laureen. And they're, they're a couple where, you know, the husband is a Giants fan and the wife is an Oakland Athletics fan and a Dodgers fan. So they were there to obviously take in an all-star game. But 
I got the chance to talk to them because they recognized my Japan ball shirt and they had actually been overseas on one of the trips to Japan with um, the Japan ball company. And so we talked a lot about what baseball is like over in Japan, talked about the different ballparks here in the U.S. and just had a really good time. I also bumped into Mark Gent. He had a group of, I think, 12 individuals that he had kind of corralled from across the country and taken to do the entire weekend. They actually did the Futures game, the Celebrity Softball game, the Home Run Derby, and the All-Star game. So it was really cool to actually meet people face-to-face that I had had some conversation with over the last couple of years now on on Twitter. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, first the the, uh, Japan ball trip as well as the uh, fellow that uh, put together the for the All-Star game. I think I had never just thought about groups putting together baseball trips, although it makes a lot of sense. So that's a a different aspect of baseball I wasn't familiar with. So on Monday, you went to the Home Run Derby. Mm -hmm. How did that that match up with your expectations? It's interesting because I think Leading up to this and just kind of thinking about, you know, watching the Midsummer Classic on TV, I had always been more excited for the Home Run Derby than I was for the actual All-Star Game itself. And, I mean, it was amazing. There's no doubt about that. But it's definitely, there's a lot of production quality that is obviously meant for TV. Okay. So, you know, you're sitting up in the stands and you see the guys walk out of these tunnels and the fire's coming up behind them and everything. And it's cool, but it's obviously not as theatrical as it looks to someone sitting at home on the couch, you know. Right. But I will say, I remember years past thinking about how long the Home Run Derby took because of all the commercials sprinkled in and everything like that, just thinking, man, this thing is never going to end. And I'll tell you that when you're sitting in the stands and you're watching it all unfold, it feels like it takes about 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. And I also loved, you know, part of my issue with watching it on TV is, is the over analysis of it. They're talking about launch angle and trying to analyze every single swing that, the guy is making when it comes down to it it's just a grown man smacking the absolute bejesus out of a ball trying to hit it as far as possible and (laughs) i think it feels more pure when you're sitting in the stands and you're watching that and you're watching the people around you kind of react to you know a ball that actually goes over the roof and out of the ballpark into the concourse the collective kind of energy that pops when when something like that happens is it's it's way different than sitting on your couch and watching it at home that's for sure so do they sell assigned seats to the home run derby just like they do a baseball game they do yeah they do and dodger stadium actually had you know i noticed on tuesday for the all-star game you could go into the outfield prior to the game and you could catch batting practice it looked like I I didn't try to do it but I noticed that they weren't collecting tickets ahead of the game right on Monday they were making sure that you had an outfield ticket they wouldn't allow you there even during the workout time period so 
that outfield ticket obviously much more desirable for the home run derby than it was for the um the actual all-star game itself but yeah assigned seating just like a regular game well that doesn't surprise me i mean i my instincts would tell me that you, you want to be out in the outfield to catch a ball. I wouldn't be surprised if they're priced differently as well, with a premium put on outfield balls more than more certainly more than during a regular game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's kind of like a crazy scene out there too, watching people scramble, scramble <laughs> and jockeying, and you know, of, of course, the outfield at Dodger Stadium; those are all bleacher seats, so. You, you don't necessarily have your own quote-unquote space the same that you do when you have an actual physical chair either. Right. So I understand this was the first all-star game at Dodger Stadium since 1980, which really surprises me. That's 42 years ago. There's only 30 ball clubs. So I'm surprised that it, that it would be so long between all-star games at Dodger Stadium. But I know this was not your first trip to Dodger Stadium because you did the 30 ballparks already. But tell us a little bit about your impressions of Dodger Stadium. And if somebody was going there to visit, what would they want to make sure that they check out? Yeah. During the all-star game, I sat next to two L.A. natives, and they were, I would guess, about my age. And the the woman I was sitting next to said that her mom had actually come to the game 42 years ago, the All-Star game 42 years ago. And I asked her the same question. I said, I don't understand how a ballpark like this could be overlooked for decades and decades again. You know, why did it take so long for it to come back? And she said... She feels the same way, obviously, as a a lover of the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium, but that, you know, they had just gone through a significant amount of renovations in, I think, you know, right around the 2020 landmark when the All-Star Game was originally supposed to be back at Dodger Stadium. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So they had just, they had just pumped a significant amount of money back into the ballpark. And um, the last time I was there was 2017. So obviously some time ago, and I... Um, I really enjoyed the ballpark both times. It's incredible to think that you could be sitting among 60,000 people and still feel that close, still have such an intimate connection to the game. I think that that's one of the things that Dodger Stadium does better than, than pretty much anyone is the largest seating capacity, but still a very intimate and compact setting and feeling. So I would say... If you haven't been to Dodger Stadium and you're going, there are a couple things you got to do. You got to walk through the retired numbers plaza where they have huge like six foot number statues for all of the retired Dodger numbers. A little bit of history there. Walk around the entire park because in the outfield they've created, it's it's kind of like an outdoor picnic area that a lot of these ballparks are kind of moving towards where you have a lot of different food options and then there's seating there. And if you get there early enough before the game starts in center field, they actually open the outfield gates and you can stand maybe about 50 feet from a center fielder who's shagging batting practice balls and just kind of watch what they're seeing as the ball's coming off the bat. And that's pretty cool. That would be. 
Yeah. So I sat there and I watched Tim Anderson and uh, Buxton shag BP on Monday before the home run derby, and that was that was pretty neat. Well, you got to make sure you make you uh, add some of these notes to your uh, Dodgers baseball guide. I understand you've got guides for a lot of the ballparks on your website. You got to make sure you have some of those tips included in there. Yeah, that's great advice. I will be sure to update it now that I've been there. You know, five years is a big difference. A lot, a lot can change in in half a decade, obviously. So, yeah, I've got some updates to make. That's that's for sure. Well, good. So. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the game day experience? What, when did they let you into the ballpark? What you thought of where you were sitting? And, the, and just the, the pregame ceremony. How do those strike people who are sitting in the stands as opposed to those of us that are sitting at home watching it on TV? So the game started, my ticket said 430 but the game started, I think the official schedule was 5 o'clock, was when the game was supposed to start. I know it didn't really start till around 5.20, maybe even 5.30. But they opened right. up the gates at 2. And so I, of course, was there at 2.01. And, <laughs> you know, if you give me access to a ballpark, I'm going to take advantage of it. So I was walking around. I made sure I got my my food ahead of time so I didn't have to worry about that during the game. I wanted to see every nook and cranny of the ballpark. And then, of course, during All-Star Week, most of the Major League mascots will be walking the concourse of whatever park they're at. So I was on a hunt to see as many of those as I could. And there's an air to it. And there's something about the All-Star Game that I've never really thought of before because I've never been there in person. And that is... It's probably the best day and the least contentious day of the entire Major League season. Everybody's happy. There's really no stakes to it. It's really just a bunch of fanfare and showmanship and celebrating everything about baseball that makes it the thing that we love. And the energy is just high and fun and everybody seems to really be enjoying themselves. And then, of course, the actual fanfare itself the only thing that I could ever think that would maybe compare to it was going to that World Series game that you and I went to back in 2020. But with COVID the way it was, they weren't able to do so many of the things that I got to see here at Dodger Stadium. The huge flag that covers the entire field, and you don't realize how big that is until they come walking out of the outfield gate with it. And they just keep walking. I mean, it takes, you know, it seems like it takes 20 minutes for, I don't know, 200 people to carry this flag out. And then it covers the entire outfield, the national anthem. Then, of course, you have your F-22 flyover, which is just something that's never replicated on TV. You don't, the rumbling of the engines that you can feel as the jets are still you know, 20 seconds away, and then you kind of see them as this speck off in the distance and the national anthem is playing. It's all just culminating into this great slice of Americana, America's game, America's best players, America's anthem, America's flag, America's military, all just on display and everybody is just locked in. It's kind of hard not to get a little choked up about it because it's just what it represents. 
Yeah, and, and that's that's an experience that just never grows old. I no. mean, every time, every time you have the privilege of, of experiencing that, it's special. So you were talking about how it's the least contentious uh, day of the year in the, in the baseball season. You know, when I was growing up, it was quite different from that because I started following the baseball game around 1965 and followed it pretty closely um, for probably about 10 years. Towards the tail end of that 10 years, free agency had begun. Catfish Hunter was like the first really big free agent to sign going from Oakland to the Yankees. And Reggie Jackson went from Oakland to Baltimore for a year and then on to the Yankees. When you go back before the free agency period, players rarely switch leagues so that you were either an American League player or a National League player for most of your career. Frank Robinson is probably the only one who really jumps out at me as someone who, uh, you know, a star, a, a Hall of Fame level type person who actually switched leagues going from the Cincinnati Reds to the Baltimore Orioles. The games were more intense because you also did not have interleague play. So these guys, you know, so many great players never played against each other except in, a, in an all-star it was much more contentious for most of the time that I was following it. The National League was dominating the game. Yeah. But just as an example of how, how seriously ballplayers took the game, it was an unfortunate incident, but Pete Rose was coming home and ran into the catcher for the Indians. I can't remember his first name. The last name was Fossey. It might have been Ray Fossey. Anyway, he... He he ran into Ray Fossey, and Fossey was injured, missed the rest of the season, and was really never the same ball player that he was. So, I, at the end of the day, I don't know which scenario as a fan I prefer. Certainly, don't like to see people get hurt, but right. I kind of like the idea of the game meaning something. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. So tell me a little bit more about, is this, I'm assuming the stadium is sold out. You know, I was really surprised by this. On Monday at the Home Run Derby, I remember looking around right as we're about to start and turning to the guy next to me and going, look at how many empty seats there are. And of course, I mentioned it earlier, Dodger Stadium seats 60,000, I believe. So I imagine it would be fairly difficult to sell out 60,000 seats until you take into account that the city of L.A. has something like 10 million people in it. Right. And I heard on the news Monday morning that home run derby tickets were still available for $45. Now, of course, that's not going to be the the greatest seats, but I thought that surely by Tuesday for the actual all-star game that there would not be a single seat open. And I, again, couldn't believe how many seats were open. They touted it as a sellout on the air, but... There were a lot of empty empty seats, especially in that upper deck along the corners, kind of along the foul lines. I was I was quite surprised, and I don't know how many people bought strips of tickets and were trying to resell them and just asked way too much money. But, I mean, there were a ton of people there, don't get me wrong. There were plenty of people there, but to look around in an all-star game and see any amount of measurably empty seats is, is kind of disheartening. Yeah, but you're right, though. It is a large ballpark, yeah. so that, that plays into it. 
I guess a point that I would make to people who are fortunate enough to live within a short driving distance of a ballpark that could potentially have an all-star game in the future is don't necessarily get super discouraged if you're just a few days out from the event and you're checking resale prices of tickets and they're just sky high through the roof. Because I would suspect that you could check StubHub or SeatGeek, you know, even just a few hours before the game. And if there were as many available seats as there were for this All-Star game, I would think you could probably get a steal of a deal last minute. So keep an eye on that if that's something that you're able to do. Okay. How about one last question? So you knocked off two items off your bucket list with this trip. Going to an all-star game or going to the home run derby. Yeah. So what uh, what is the next bucket list item you think you're going to be able to check off? Okay. So Nicole and I were talking about this when I got home, and I was telling her how much fun I had had and how amazing everything was. And, of course, you know, we're already trying to put plans in motion to to do something similar to this as the two of us together. So that's up there. But I would say that the next thing that's most likely to happen is next summer. We're looking into going to the Hall of Fame Classic, which is always around Memorial Day up in Cooperstown. And you have these former big leaguers who who play a game together. And then, of course, there's all this other fanfare and events being held at the Hall of Fame. So it's obviously not induction weekend like what's going on right now. But, right. you know, you have a lot of former stars. You have a lot of families up there. And so I think that's probably next. I would say that the thing that I'm most excited about doing is finding a way to get to the Alaskan Midnight Sun game. That's got to be the one that's, that is uh, most exciting for me right now. Well, I didn't even know there was such a game. That's, yeah. So in Alaska, obviously... At a certain point during the year, it stays daylight for nearly 20 hours a day or whatever it may be. So they will play a game at midnight with no lights. That's that's, amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I've enjoyed visiting with you about uh, your trip. Um, Sounds like you had a great time. And I look forward to uh, continuing to hear from some of your guests on your podcast, as well as to hear about more of your adventures in the future. So thanks for coming on, Anna. (laughs) Thanks for hosting, Dad. One thing I want to say before we sign off here is, if you are considering an all-star weekend, 100% try to make it happen, because the energy that exists around this event is unparalleled to anything that I've ever experienced, you know, Again, the stakes are low, so everybody's in a good mood. There's tons to do. And make it a point to play the game that I played and try to find one fan of every team. And I saw um, something so wholesome while I was walking out of the game on Tuesday. Three separate Baltimore fans who were wearing Baltimore gear and were not part of the same group kind of make eye contact with each other and get so excited that they ran together and took a photo and yelled, there are dozens of us, dozens. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, what an incredible experience. People coming from everywhere to see their favorite team. And it's something that you got to do. If it's if it's on your bucket list, find a way to make it happen because it's just an incredible experience. Okay, well, thank you. Bye, <laughs> Bye, Dad. 
And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to my dad, Victor DiTomaso, for joining us again this time as a guest host. If you haven't had a chance to check out the very first episode ever of the show, that features me interviewing my dad about his favorite baseball memories and how he fell in love with the game of baseball. Gets into a little bit about my story and how I became a fan of the game as well. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.